Good morning. It's a great joy to be here with you this morning. As Brian said, if, you, if you're visiting with us, we're especially thankful for, for your attendance this morning, and we hope that the service has been edifying for you so far, and I hope that the study of the morning will be helpful to you as we strive to serve our Lord and our Savior. We want to talk for a little while this morning about the temptations of Christ. And at the beginning of our study, we're going to look at Luke's account of, of Satan coming at Jesus head on, face to face, and tempting Jesus with differing things. I don't know about you, but for me, Satan has never come at me face to face. But where he does come at me daily is in my own life, in my own heart, with my own lusts and my own temptations. In James chapter 1, verse number 14, the Bible tells us each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And I believe that's a teaching that we have in the book of Luke when, when Satan comes to Jesus head on. Is, it's coming from inside us. That's where Satan hits us. He hits us with our own desires In Luke chapter 4, verse number 1, Jesus says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for forty days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, the understatement of the Bible, he was hungry. <laughs> I can only imagine how hungry Jesus was in this moment, how weak he must have felt. Now, I love Luke's account because it gives us a little more insight into what was happening here. It wasn't that Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days and fasting. Satan was tempting him for the 40 days. And the account that we have in the book of Luke and the book of Matthew about Satan's temptation of Jesus is the end of that. The end of those 40 days where Satan had already been given Jesus his best shots. And now... We have three temptations that are specifically recorded for us. You know, Satan loves to hit us at our weakest point, doesn't he? We get some insight into his personality, so to speak. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, the Bible says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan is a lot like a lion is. You know, back... We haven't done it in a while, sorry kids, but I used to really enjoy watching nature shows with my children, Animal Planet and, and the such like, and when, when they would go to the lions, man, I always rooted for the lions. That bugged my daughters to death, because of course they're rooting for the gazelle. They want that gazelle to be able to get away. I'm just like, the lion's hungry, he just wants a meal. So... When we watch those shows, what I notice, one, Animal Planet does not like it when the gazelle loses, just so you know. They don't show that very often. But the gazelles that win are the ones that lean down, take a bite, pick their head up, look around. And lean down, take a bite, pick their head up, and look around. You know, the lion almost always goes for the weak, goes for the ones that are alone, but even alone, when that gazelle is picking its head up and looking, being watchful, being vigilant, it almost always got away. It almost always escaped. Jesus was weak. 
He was hungry. Jesus was alone. He was all by himself there in the wilderness. But he was not unprepared. He was ready for the temptations that Satan was coming at him with. Verse number 9 of this reading, it says, Resist him, speaking of the devil, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And I love how he ends that because sometimes we're physically alone, right? We can't always be around Christians constantly. Sometimes we're going to be by ourselves or out in the world around temptation, surrounded by temptation. But you're not alone in your temptation. People all around the world, Christians all around the world are suffering from the same things, the same difficulties, the same struggles that you suffer with. I'm just guessing there's probably somewhere around 250, 300 people in this building today. My guess is that you're not suffering alone with your temptations in this building. There's someone else that struggles with the same thing you struggle with. It's a fight, but it's a fight worth having. It's a fight worth picking. We need to resist. Continuing there in Luke chapter 4, verse number 3, it says, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. As we stated, he was, he was very hungry, extremely hungry. But it wasn't about his fleshly desire. It wasn't about fulfilling the lust of his flesh in that moment. It was about God. It was about serving God. It was about God and his word. It was not about his own fleshly desire. You know, when I think about someone giving in to their fleshly desire and giving up something important to them to fulfill their need for food i think about esau the story of esau in the old testament he was out hunting and he'd been hunting for a while apparently he was extremely hungry and he came to his brother jacob's house and he said please jacob give me some food and jacob said i'll give you some food if you'll sell me your birthright because esau was the oldest of the twin boys and esau said well i'm going to die from this hunger anyway so what's a birthright going to do for me So he sold him this birthright. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, the Bible records about Esau that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. Now when you read the story in the Old Testament, you think, man, that was a pretty bad decision, but Here in the New Testament, he's described as an immoral and a godless person because he chose the desires of his flesh over something far more important, something far more valuable. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 12, the Bible tells us all things, speaking of liberties, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. You know, I had a friend who convinced me a few years ago that intermittent fasting was, was a helpful thing. It was good for your organs, it was good for your body, and so every once in a while, I skip lunch. 
but I'm very strategic with when I skip lunch. I really want there to be a pizza buffet somewhere that evening. And so if I skip lunch, I'll go sit down at that pizza buffet, and for the next 30-ish minutes, that pizza is my master. I don't care about anything else, because I'm hungry. And I allow that to take over, and I get done, and you know, some of you know exactly how I feel when I get done. <laughs> Terrible. Because I've gorged myself on pizza, which is less than healthy. You know, I have little doubt in my mind that it would have been fine for Jesus to have turned that stone into bread. But Satan was coming to him saying, you prove to me that you're the Son of God. You're hungry. Here, just do this. Prove to me that you can do it. And in that moment, in doing that, it would have been unprofitable for Jesus. We see him performing miracles with food when he fed the 5,000, when he fed the 4,000. It was lawful for him to do it in those moments, but in this moment, to satisfy his own fleshly desires, he would have been choosing his flesh over God. We need to be careful that we don't let our fleshly desires be our master. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready to resist Satan's temptations with God's word, just as Jesus did here. Throughout his life, his desire was for the Word of God, and it was at the very top of his priority list. From a very young age, he was going to serve God. And we need to take the example that he gives us there and strive to be just like him. Continuing in Luke chapter 4, verse number 5, it says, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you were, will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Rule the world. Here Jesus has an opportunity, rule the entirety of the earth, have all the power that this world has to offer, and turned it down. Because you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. How often have we taken our small piece of prestige, our small place in this world, and turned down God? Because we want to hold on to it. Well, the thing that comes to mind in my life is we have a responsibility to teach God's Word to others. And how often have I sat there and kept my mouth shut because I was concerned that, well, this person may not like me anymore. Or they may think I'm just some Bible-thumping person who only cares about Jesus and, and not be my friend. And I may lose my, their respect for me or I may lose my position as their friend. 
How often have we turned down God and what God has asked us to do for a very small amount of prestige? And yet here Jesus gives us the example of he's offered the entirety of the world and tells Satan no. Because we are not to serve Satan, we are to serve God. Verse number 9, he continues the temptation, says, Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. This one hurts me. Because there's been times in my life that I want to take the easy way out. I want to do something that it's just easier for me. And I go to God's Word and I, I find verses that will back me up. And I take God's Word out of context. Or I use it to my benefit. I don't take the whole picture I don't look at everything God's Word says about the subject. It's what Satan does to Jesus here. He uses God's Word to tempt him. Do we ever do that in our own heart? Do we ever take God's Word and twist it and make it say what we want it to? Make it fit how we want to live our life rather than fitting our life to the Word of God. I had a friend, we had a friend in high school that she fell in love with a guy who did not believe what she believed. And as this relationship progressed, you could just see her getting weaker and weaker in her faith. And at the end of it, she decided that she loved this boy and God is love, so because God is love, it must be okay to just love whoever you fall in love with. And we see examples similar to that throughout the world. Where we take a verse and we just say, well, this has to mean this because it's, really it's because it's what we want. And it's not really what God's word is saying. We cannot twist God's word to fit our life we need to twist our life to fit God's word and we need to be prepared and well studied in what God's word says you know I love that two of the temptations that Christ suffered or faced here were, were Satan saying prove that you're the son of God and his last statement to Satan is you shall not tempt the Lord your God I have nothing to prove to you. I'm God's son, and you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Verse number 13, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And I hope we can take comfort in the example that Jesus leaves for us. When we resist Satan, and we're successful in that resistance, We'll get reprieves. We'll get rests. We'll get moments where we don't have to suffer through that temptation. I'm hoping that here this morning we're all experiencing one of those moments right now where temptation's not 
banging on our door trying to get us. James chapter 4, verse number 7 tells us, Therefore submit to God and resist the devil, and he will free from, flee from you. Satan comes at us from the inside, from our own hearts, hits us head on. Resist him. If we fight, then we get reprieves. We get moments of time where we don't have to fight. But we need to remember that he'll always try to come back. He'll try to find another foothold in your life. Satan never leaves us for good. He just leaves us for a while, for a more opportune time. And he certainly did that with Jesus as well. And we want to notice a couple of other things, ways that Jesus was tempted in his life. And we'll focus mostly close to the end of Christ's life. But the next thing we want to talk about is the temptation that Jesus faced from authority. And we'll focus on Pilate uh, this morning in John chapter 19, verse 1 through verse 5. It says, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again sorry Pilate then went out again and said to them behold I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him then Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe and Pilate said behold the man Pilate has always fascinated me because he thought Christ was innocent throughout and yet he scourged him. He had Jesus beaten. He allowed the soldiers to mock him, to put the crown of thorns on his head, to put the robe on him, to spit on him, to slap him, to hit him with a reed. He allowed all of those things, even though he thought he was innocent. And he brings Jesus out to the Jews and he says, Behold the man. I've beaten him. Is this good enough? Can I let this man go now? Because I think he's innocent. Verse number 6, Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the praetorium, and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you, and power to release you? Pilate had seemingly all the power. And Christ was an innocent man who Pilate thought was innocent. I don't know about you, but when it comes to government, this is my worst fear. They have all the power to do whatever they want. And even though they think I'm innocent, they're still going to do it because of the mob. Because of the crowd outside shouting, crucify him, crucify him. 
We see another story along similar lines in Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 3, verse number 14 through verse number 18, it says, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands Jewish people were in a pagan land of Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar had all the power in that land and he'd set up this statue for them to worship and set up a time where if you didn't do it you were in big trouble Chadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said no we're not doing it and so now they're in big trouble And there before the king, and the king gives them another chance. He says, all right, we'll give you another chance. And if you do it, good. But if you don't do it, I'm going to put you in the fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Now we see this story throughout the book of Acts as well. Those that are teaching God's word, being thrown into prison, being beaten... For doing so, being punished for doing what's right by the governing authorities. So the question I have for us this morning is, do we stand petrified by what our government might do? Do we sit down in front of the news and just sit and worry and worry about who's being elected and what they're doing and the policies that are being put in place and spending all of our time consumed and concerned with what might happen to us? You know, as we look at the life of Christ and we see him standing before Pilate, bloodied and beaten, he was in pain in that moment. And Pilate looked at him and said, I can set you free and I can crucify you. I have the power. We know Christ did not want to suffer anymore. And that was the temptation he had in that moment, was to give in to the power that could have let him go Or to allow God to be in control. That's the situation Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in. They can say, okay, fine, you win. We'll bow down and worship this idol. Or they can let God be in control of their fate. They can stand with God. And we know that's what they did. In verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. King, it doesn't matter. You throw us into the fiery furnace, God can deliver us. But even if he doesn't deliver us, we're not going to worship your God. We're going to stand with our God. And we know that Jesus or God did save them from that fiery furnace. But we need to take comfort in this because God has the power, not our government. 
And that's what Jesus tells Pilate here. It says in verse number 11 of John 19, Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. You know, as we continue to think about what happened to Jesus after this, Pilate delivered him to be crucified. Jesus died on that cross. He was buried, and the Jewish leaders came to Pilate, and they said, look, he was teaching that he's going to be resurrected on the third day. We need to make sure this doesn't happen. And so Pilate gave them a group of guards, and he said, go make it as secure as you can. Go make sure that Jesus is unable to come out of that tomb. Pilate did everything in his power to keep Jesus in his grave. But he had no power at all except the power that was given to him from above. And in the end, he had no power at all because Jesus came forth from that tomb in spite of his best efforts. Jesus gave us some teaching in Luke chapter 12, verse number 4. He says, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after have no more that they can do. And we read this, and, and short of public speaking, the number one fear in the world is death. And we think, how could we not be afraid of death? That seems like a pretty big deal. But Jesus said, that's all they can do. Jesus stayed the course. He suffered and he died for us. He stood with God. He stayed with God's plan. He resisted the temptation that was offered to him by those in power. Our response to temptation from our governing authorities needs to be fairly simple. We need to recognize that God is in control. We need to not live in fear. And we need to pray for the sake of peace. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore I exhort you, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. We need to pray for peace. I want to live a peaceable life, and I know you do too. We need to pray for that. But when the time comes, if the time comes in your life, we need to stand with God. In Acts chapter 5, we'll just read the end of verse 29 there. Or we'll read verse 29 there. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. And that needs to be our attitude. No matter what. When the laws of men and the laws of God don't line up, we can't do both. We stand with God every time and all the time. Because they have no power over us. Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't live in fear. Don't live in fear of things present or things to come. They have no power over your relationship with God. We need to stick with God at all times. 
Next way that Jesus was tempted was from his enemies, those who meant to do him harm. Matthew chapter 26, we find the arrest of our Lord and Savior. Judas had brought a band of people and they came with weapons like they were arresting a criminal. They came to Jesus, and in verse number 50 of Matthew 26, the Bible says, But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? And then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him, and suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think I cannot now pray to my Father? And he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels. How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? I want us to recognize all of the power that Jesus had in this moment. Because it was an immense amount of power. He could have called down twelve legions of angels, which I believe would have been plenty to wipe out the entirety of the Roman Empire without any trouble. Think about that kind of power in your hands and the temptation to use it. Here come his enemies to come arrest him and, and his apostle Peter cut off one of their ears. He was ready to fight. And you have the power to not only escape this situation but any other situation that may come. But he was standing with God again. How then could the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen thus? God didn't, Jesus did not use his power to escape or to fight his enemies. Rather, in Luke twenty-two fifty-one, we have it recorded, but Jesus answered and said, Permit even this, and he touched his ear and healed him. An ear had been lost. One of his apostles went rogue, right? And Jesus used the power that was within him to heal that ear. That's what Jesus did for his enemies. Matthew chapter 27, two robbers were identified previously in this chapter, one on Jesus' right hand being crucified and the other on his left. And Luke 20. I'm sorry, Matthew 27, verse 44, the Bible records for us, even the robbers were crucified, who were crucified with him, reviled him with the same thing. So some Jewish leaders and some other passerbys were, were walking by Jesus and they were mocking him. They were saying things as he hung on that cross, saying things like, he could save others himself, he cannot save. Come off the cross. If you come off the cross, we'll believe in you. And these two thieves were mocking him just the same way. One of them had a change of heart, it would appear, in Luke chapter 23. In Luke chapter 23, beginning there in verse number 39, Then one of the criminals who were hanged, blaspheming, sorry, blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God? seeing you are under the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This man had just been reviling him and making fun of him, but he had a change of heart. He changed his mind. And I don't know if, if it was this other criminal saying, If you are the Christ, save us, save yourself and us. Or what clicked in his brain. But he asked Jesus to remember him. He showed his belief. And Jesus showed him kindness and he showed him mercy. A couple of verses before in Luke chapter 23. As the Roman soldiers hung Jesus on that cross and they put the nails through his hands and they put the nails through his feet. They stood that cross up and he was hanging there. He was looking at these Roman soldiers who had just done that to him. In verse number 34, the Bible tells us, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. They divided his garments and cast lots. This is how Christ treated his enemies, those who did him harm. He exemplified the teaching we find in Romans chapter 12. We'll jump around a little bit here in Romans 12. For time's sake, we'll read verse 14, sorry, verse 9, verse 14, and then verse 17 through verse 21. The Bible tells us, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cling to what is good. Verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus exemplified these teachings in his life. Specifically in how he dealt with his enemies. He prayed for his enemies. He looked at those Roman soldiers and he prayed to his father, forgive them, they don't understand what they're doing. When Peter drew his sword, cut off Malchus's ear, he healed him. He didn't have to do that. But he did. He did not take vengeance into his own hands, even though he certainly could have. Our responsibility to all people, including our enemies, is to bring them to Christ. We want to turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse number 38 through verse number 42. Jesus teaches us here, You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. 
So we want to focus in our analogy, for our analogy this morning on where he says, go two miles. Because I find in my life, when someone compels me to go a mile, what I really like to do is I'll go 1.1 mile and then go, ah, that didn't work. It's not what Jesus calls us to do. He doesn't call us to do what the world will does and then just a little more. He didn't call us to do what the world will do and then just a little more. He called us to go above and beyond in our good deeds. To be excessive. And with our examples that we've read, knowing the power Jesus had, when Peter cut off Malchus's ear, he could have said, well, he didn't cut off your head. I stopped him from doing that. I did good. When he looked at those Roman soldiers who had just hung him on the cross, Jesus could have said, I didn't call down 12 legions of angels to wipe you out. I did good. But he didn't. He healed the ear. He prayed for the soldiers. He went above and beyond, even for his enemies. Lastly, we want to notice the temptation that Jesus suffered by the hands of those closest to him, by his friends. We're human, aren't we? We're human. We want to serve God. We want to, we want to be a part of his kingdom. But that doesn't mean that we don't fail sometimes. That doesn't mean that we don't put stumbling blocks in each other's way sometimes. Mark chapter 8, verse number 31 through verse number 33, speaking of Jesus, it said, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he spoke the word openly. Then Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God but the things of men. Jesus told him what needed to happen. This was God's plan. The Son of God was going to be crucified, buried, and resurrected. And Peter took him aside and said, this is absolutely not going to happen to you. And Jesus gives him an answer. He says, get behind me, Satan. Peter was the temptation in Jesus' life in this moment. And he told Peter what was wrong with his advice. Peter, I'm certain, was trying to help, but Peter was mindful of the things of men. He was mindful of Jesus and his physical body and caring for it, rather than being mindful of the things of God. We need to take care when giving advice to one another. That we give advice of a godly nature. James speaks of this in James chapter 3. We'll begin there in verse number 13. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. If you're wise, you're going to show it in how you live your life. If you're concerned with the things of God and not with the things of this world, it's going to be obvious to others and they're going to come to you for advice. Because of how you conduct your life. Verse 14, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast 
and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Verse that comes to mind is in, in the book of Romans where he says, Do not be wise in your own opinions. Those that are wise in their own opinions often boast about those opinions. They're happy to throw their opinion, throw their advice in all directions. And we read a passage like this. I don't know about you, but I really like to focus on the parts where it says sensual and demonic. My advice is almost never sensual and demonic. But a lot of times it is self-seeking. Sometimes it's filled with envy. Sometimes it's earthly. It's what's best in this world. It's what's best for right now. And not what's best for eternity. Verse 17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What comes to my mind with this entire reading is what I've decided to call the mama bear conundrum. And papa bears get it too. But we see something happening to our children in this life and it's wrong. And we want to fix it. And we want to take care of them. And we want to tell them how they need to do this, this, and this. And don't let people treat you like that. Take the fight to them. And I've just got little children. I can't imagine having adult children who are going out into the world and getting jobs and having bosses who are mean and hateful and, and giving advice to them. And watching them be treated poorly... Because that's what Jesus called us to do. If you get slapped in the face, turn the other cheek. Don't hit them back. That's godly advice. That's the wisdom of God. We need to be teaching anyone who we have opportunity to teach, we need to teach what God and what Jesus would have us teach. Not what our opinion is. Not what we think. Not what's best in this world, but what's best for eternity. And to those receiving advice, we have a responsibility as well. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We need to check the advice we're given, whether it's godly, whether it's worldly. We need to try those things. We need to study them out before we implement them in our life. Our last point this morning, we'll cover fairly quickly here. So, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to apologize because I don't remember exactly where this story came from. But, um, I, I, as the story goes, and this was presented as a true story, there was a young Christian man who had a wife, and and he had read that verse that talks about uh, defrauding not unless it's with your wife's consent. And, and 
that verse is talking about marital relations, and he thought it was talking about this life. And that as long as you had consent from your wife, you could commit as much fraud as you wanted to for a short amount of time. And I was sitting there listening to that and thought, that's crazy. And how many times have I done that? <laughs> how many times have I allowed my concern for my family's physical well-being get in the way of doing what's right in the eyes of God? Making business decisions because, well, I got to take care of my family, but maybe they weren't the ones I should have made. Making decisions of where to spend our money because, well, we, we, I want to I wanna buy my family good stuff. And should I have done that or should I have been more mindful of the things of God? We see example after example of this exact conundrum throughout Scripture. It starts in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. They consented together to eat that fruit. Eve ate it first and then she gave it to her husband also. We're not going to read the story of Ananias and Sapphira. A very similar situation here. They had a piece of land and everyone in, in their church was selling all that they had and giving it to the church. So they sold this piece of land and they agreed together to, we're going to say we gave all the money, but we're going to keep some back. You know why they did that? Because they wanted to look good, but they also wanted to buy stuff. They also wanted to keep some for their own security, but they still wanted to look good. So they agreed together to lie to the Holy Spirit, and it cost them their life. We were sitting one day on the couch, and I looked at Candace, and I said, all right, I, there's a TV show I really, really want to watch. It's really cool. I've heard great things about it. It's awesome. And I convinced her that this was a good show to watch. And we turned it on, and I've never seen that kind of filth in my life in a TV show. And I'm sitting there on the couch, and I'm going, I did this to us. I convinced my wife, and she agreed with me because I convinced her. And I'm putting both of our souls in jeopardy because of my fleshly desire. She was nice. She didn't say, get behind me, Satan, but she probably should have. Don't be the stumbling block in someone else's life, especially those closest to you. I love her more than anyone in the world. And how often have I made decisions that affect her soul, that put her soul at risk? Romans 14 verse 13 says, Let us therefore judge, sorry, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. And I hope we'll take that to heart this morning. So in summary, we want to Take the teaching that Jesus, the examples that Jesus gave us, and put them in our life. We need to be prepared with God's Word. We need to resist Satan, and he'll flee from us. Recognize that God is in control. Do not live in fear. Pray for those in power for the sake of peace. Pray for our enemies. Respond to our enemies with kindness and mercy. Go the extra mile. 
Give godly advice and show it in how you live your life. And don't let those closest to us get between us and God. And I hope that we'll take those examples that Jesus left for us into our life this morning. We want to offer an invitation as we close our study this morning. There's holes in your life, and you feel those holes. Feel those holes in your life. That hole is a hole that's meant for Jesus. We were created to serve Him. We were created to live our life in accordance with His Word. You want to be happy in your life? That's how you do it. He's given us the tool. He's given us the book that we need to study and to learn from and to know how to achieve a fulfilled life. If you're not living your life for Christ this morning, I encourage you to make that decision, to come forward to be baptized into His kingdom this morning. If you're a member of His kingdom and you've been struggling with something and you feel the need for the prayers of the church, we'd ask you to come forward as well as we stand and sing.